Blog Talk Radio. It's a beautiful day this Saturday morning, and I'm so happy you're starting it with the Pet Place Radio Show, the program where you suggest the guests and topics, as long as they're animal-related. I'm Marie Hewitt, and I'm always so happy to be part of KGIL's weekend news talk lineup, which includes PJ Oakland's Tuned In, a great show that follows us each Saturday morning at 6.30 a.m. We have some pretty doggone interesting guests today, and I know you're going to want to jot down some information So during the break that's coming up, grab a pen and paper because we'll be talking with Hugh Duff Robertson, an attorney who has some great advice for setting up pet trusts. And then a little later, Tiffany Young will be checking in to tell us about her organization, the Duck Rescue Network. So stay tuned. We'll be right back on the Pet Place Radio Show here on AM 540 and 1260. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Place Radio Show on AM 540 and 1260. I'm Marie Hewitt, and I'd like to introduce our first guest this morning, Hugh Robertson. Good morning, Hugh. Thanks for coming in. Oh, good morning, Marie. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Now, you're an attorney, is that correct? Yes, I am. And um, do you practice locally in Los Angeles? Yes, I'm in uh, Westwood, actually, a few minutes from here. Oh, okay. I practice in Los Angeles. What's the name of your firm? Robertson & Lum. Robertson and Lum. Okay. Now, I understand um, that you guys put together pet trusts. That's correct. Okay. I think this is really important because so often um, people who have animals um, don't necessarily plan for the worst-case scenario, which would be if something happened and they died unexpectedly or possibly even expectedly, and they haven't made arrangements for their pets in any way. So this is something that you can help people uh, plan for that's true that's true absolutely actually about two thirds of Americans don't plan for their uh, uh, what to do with their estate even. yeah anything I know let alone their pets now now tell me how is a pet trust similar to other trusts pet trusts are very similar to other trusts there are some legal differences but by and large they're the same okay we have uh, a person sets up a, a fund for uh, the benefit of a pet there's a trustee, there's a caretaker, and then there's a remainder beneficiary. Okay. Sometimes you can have someone monitor the caretaker to make sure the caretaker is oh, actually wow. doing what the caretaker is supposed to do. Oh, that's a great idea because I was uh, recently told about a really tragic case where um, somebody became the the uh, trustee, I guess. Is that the correct word? A trustee and a caretaker are, okay. are two different people, but yes. Um, of, of the animals. He um, he had to take care of two cats whose owner had passed away, and he received um, a pretty good chunk of money to care for them for the rest of their lives. And uh, he decided that the rest of their lives was only going to be about a day after he got them because he took them to the vet and had them euthanized, and then he received the rest of the money. Well, that's always a danger when you have the, the uh, remainder beneficiary of the pet trust be the caretaker or yeah. the trustee. Uh-huh. So you have to be very careful when you're picking the caretaker as to uh, a person you really trust. Yeah, someone who's always loved your pets 
um, has demonstrated that, too. And has other pets, and, sure. and sometimes there are even professionals that can do it. Oh, okay. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, there, there are people who basically are in business of taking care of other people's pets. Like the Bluebell, Bluebell Foundation for Cats, then? And, and Similar to that, or even okay. private, uh, private individuals. So you could set up a trust where the Bluebell Foundation or a similar organization would receive um, monthly increments? Is that how it works? Well, I'm not so sure about the Bluebell Foundation, but okay. if you had a, a, a trustee could actually go out and employ someone to take care of the pet. Okay. So that person's really an independent third person who has no vested interest in what happens with uh, the trust funds, and especially... They want the, the the pet to stay around for quite a while because they've got a vested interest in keeping the trust uh, going and keeping the pet alive. Okay. Now I have a question. Um, seems to me that legal matters take a long time uh, to be resolved. Um, how does somebody know that if they pass away, that the trust will immediately go into effect and their pets will be taken care of? Well, that's the important aspect of having a trust versus a will. A will, for instance, has to be probated. And it's a long process and, and okay. could take quite a bit of time. A trust, on the other hand, is effective either now or can be effective immediately on the death or even the disability of, of the uh, person. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. So you can create a trust that would provide for your pets if something happened to you, you didn't die, but you were unable to care for your pets. Correct, correct. Oh, wow, okay. You know, it's, it's really no different than taking care of your children. I mean, the pets are a part of our life. They're a family. Now, do you generally go over all the details of the pet trust with the person who's going to ultimately be responsible for the pet? Absolutely. Okay, absolutely. so they fully understand what's required of them. Right, and part of their project is to sit down and say what type of special instructions they want to take care of their, their pets. You know, certain exercise routines, uh, when the, the pet needs to be euthanized, if it's possible, if it has to happen. Okay. Um, but the person, what I'm getting at is the person who is going to be the one who takes care of the pet, they sit in on these planning meetings and do they sign away that they understand everything too at the same time? Sometimes they do. You know, oftentimes it's, it's a relative who's not local. Okay. And, you know, we expect the uh, the person setting up the trust to have spoken to the caretaker or the trustee and kind of given their wishes as what they want to do. Okay. But do they still need to sign some sort of documentation? No. There? No? Oh, no. wow. All right. Um, well, tell me a little bit about how you got into this. What made you decide that this was something you wanted to do? Well, I, I had uh, several clients who were uh, elderly and, and had pets, and they just acquired pets and they become attached to them, and they're a part of the family, and they realize that the pet's uh, longevity was longer than their oh, longevity, so they wanted to do something. They had no other family, and they came in and said, here's what I want to do. I, one lady had a, a parrot that anticipated life was around 70 oh, years. Oh, I and know. She was in her <laughs> 70s, so uh -huh. she wanted to know what to do with the, with, with, uh, the pet and how to take care of it, so... We sat down and kind of came up with something. Okay. Well, are you getting more and more clients in these days who want pet trust? Is this something that's becoming more popular? It is. It is. It really became popular when uh, Leona Helmsley died. I mean, it was pretty newsworthy. Oh, I, I just recently that. was in the, in the paper. Do you know what happened? It seems like um, the person she picked out to take care of her pets didn't want to do it. Wasn't well, it her brother? Well, I'm not entirely clear. I only know what I've read in the newspaper. But uh, Okay. Well, what is something they like that? The, the amount given to the dog, that's yeah. for sure. What if something like that happened, though? What if the person, let's say the person you picked, 
um, becomes disabled or dies. What happens at that point? Well, that's where you have a successor caretaker in place. Okay, so you have a backup plan. Yeah, it's just like the regular trust. You'd have a successor trustee or a successor caretaker, somebody there in case the person's unable or unwilling to continue. Okay, so every th it should be foolproof then. <laughs> Hopefully it's foolproof. You know, there's a there's legislation pending right now in California uh, to actually make it a little, little tighter. There are about 20 states that have statutes on pet trusts, and California is sort of modifying it to make it a little more enforceable so you can actually monitor what the uh, trustee or caretaker oh, are doing. Oh, wow. Well, how how would they enforce it then? What What's the plan there? Well, you know, I'm not really uh, privy to what uh, sort of the insight is as to how they're going to get to it, but basically there would be someone who would be able to monitor what the trustee or caretaker is doing, and if something's not going right, that they'd have the right to, to go to court okay. and to try to enforce it. Okay. Now, just roughly ballpark estimate, what does the average pet trust cost if somebody wanted to do that? Just rest all parts. Oh boy, that that <laughs> goes all over the place. It depends. You know, I've had some that it, they want to have special air conditioning put into a house to keep the parrot okay, and they want to do this with the horses. They want to do this. I mean, it's it's all over the board. It's really all over the board. But a simple, a simple trust of a few hundred dollars. Okay. You know, and you, usually we incorporate them in the estate plan. Okay, so it's part of the, yeah, the larger... Usually, yeah, it's, okay. it's usually kind of bundled together. Okay, I see. Now, if somebody wanted to contact you to have a pet trust created, how would they get a hold of you? They'd call me. I have, my number is 310-824-0467. Okay, and do you have a website also? I do. It's uh, robertsonandlum.com. And why don't you spell that? R-O-B-E-R-T-S-O-N-L-U-M.com. Excellent. Well, you've um, you've answered pretty much all of my questions. If if there's anything else that you could sum this all up with, uh, what would you say? Well, there are two other areas that people tend to overlook, and that is, you know, for for individuals, they have what's called the durable power of attorney for health care. In case mm -hmm. someone's injured or is away or something where they they can't take care of themselves, and they give that power to somebody else and say they're unconscious or something. Mm -hmm. Well, the same goes true with pets. If a person is disabled, let's say they're in a car accident, mm -hmm. and the pet's in the car with them, someone needs to be able to, to offer or get medical help for the pet. Right. So even short of a trust, you can do the durable power of attorney for pet care. Oh, wow. And the other issue is for individuals who are living together who aren't married, mm -hmm. a lot of times there's a dispute as to who gets the pet. If they break up. If they break up. It's oh. just like in a divorce. <laughs> And if one has the pet and then they die, maybe an unwanted uh, family member gets it instead of the partner. Oh, it's, no. There's a lot of planning to it. It's not just wow. limited to, to death and disability of a person. It's it's more to it. Do you guys handle custody issues with pets? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we have. It's, it's, oh, boy. Generally, they tend to encourage them to work it out. It's a pretty expensive process. It's like handling a divorce. Oh, my goodness. That's so funny. Well, thank you so much for coming out today and talking to us. I think it's really important that our listeners know about this and set up a pet trust. Even if you think you're in great shape, you never know what could happen. Right. And pet trusts are also, they're not just trusts. They can be in a will. Mm -hmm. But we prefer to have them outside the will. It's, okay. it's best. Great advice. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. One more time, let's give out your phone number. 310-824-0467. It's the law offices of Robertson and Lum. Great. That's valuable information. I know it's going to help a lot of people and pets 
Again, thank you for being here today. It's time for us to take a quick station break, but don't go away. We'll be right back on KGIL AM 540 and 1260. You're listening to the Pet Place Radio Show here on KGIL AM 540 and 1260. I'm Marie Hewitt, and I'm really happy our next guest is here now because she's from a very special organization that helps an animal of a type that I don't think most people give any thought to until they find one or two or seven or eight in their pools. Let me introduce you all to Tiffany Young from the Duck Rescue Network. Hi, Tiffany. Hi there. I'm so glad you could be here today. Thank you. Happy to be here. Oh, good. Now tell me, why ducks? Why ducks? Well, once you meet a duck and help a duck, you're kind of hooked for life. We call it uh, addicted to quack. <laughs> so there's just there's just something about having a duck that makes you a duck magnet. Once people know you have one, they're that you help ducks. Uh, they seem to just come out of the woodwork from everywhere. Oh, my goodness. So so do you have a trail of ducks following you everywhere you go then? I do. I'm like a, a pied duck piper. <laughs> That's so funny. Now tell me, how did you first get involved helping with ducks? Well, for me personally, uh, when I moved to Seattle about five years ago, um, I uh, I decided to buy a house. And once I had a house, there was just something about it that I felt like, well, this is my first house and I own it and dog on it, I'm going to get a pet duck. Wow. I'm going to get a little slugger to eat some slugs in the garden. Uh-huh. And that sort of got me started, and then I uh, met other people who had pet ducks, and uh, we worked together to start the Duck Rescue Network. Okay, now, what exactly is the Duck Rescue Network? The Duck Rescue Network is a nonprofit organization. It started in North Carolina with a woman named Jen Gordon. And it's a group of a network of rescuers and rehabilitators that actually spans the entire United States. So, you know, there are a lot of uh, animal shelters for dogs and cats and that kind of thing. But for ducks, there's really nothing like that. So we kind of started this virtual network utilizing the Internet to help ducks in need. Okay, because ducks really aren't um, what most people consider pets. And so nobody really knows what to do with them, do they? They don't, yeah. I mean, one of the one of the main issues with ducks is that uh, uh, most people don't understand there's a difference between wild ducks and domestic ducks, domesticated mm-hmm. ducks. So uh, you may see wild mallards at a park flying around, and, and they can migrate and, and move south for the winter if it gets cold. But domesticated ducks are the kind that um, humans have bred over the years, either through, you know, to make fancy feathers for show or to uh, bred them for meat. Oh, okay. And those are the ones that usually end up as pet ducks. And then a lot of those, too, end up getting dumped at parks. They do. People think they'll do just fine, and they don't want them anymore because they've grown out of the cute little duckling stage, and so they just drive them over to the local park with a pond and turn them loose. Yeah, we get a lot of calls about that because it it seems like a a good thing to do. I've raised a duck. um, You know, we got it for Easter or something like that, and then uh, after a few weeks when it's too big, I'll just take it to the park and set it free as if it's, a wild mallard, mm-hmm. but in fact, it's just like raising a kitten and setting it free in the forest. It doesn't quite work that way. Yeah, these guys don't seem to have the same instincts, do they? That's right. They actually They've been have dumbed down with domestication. <laughs> yes, actually, I have a pet 
Pekin duck named Mr. Flapper, and he, for instance, is now too fat to fly. He's oh, been bred. No. They're bred that way. He's not. He's not fat. He's perfect. But oh, okay. We call it high wing load. Yeah. Got a little bit high wing load. So, so domestic ducks, for the most part, can't really fly, or if they can, they can just go a little few feet at a time, right? Yeah, they can fly a little bit. They may be able to get over a fence or something like that, but they don't have the instincts to migrate anymore. Um, they don't have the wild instincts to forage for their own food a lot of times, and uh, they don't know how to set on eggs and hatch baby ducklings. And they don't really know how to get get away from predators either, do they? True. They're kind of sitting ducks, I guess <laughs> you could say. <laughs> okay, so what do you do? You get a call, and uh, you put on your your little um, siren and light on your car and head on out to rescue. <laughs> I totally need a siren and a light on my car. I do. <laughs> I've thought about it and changed the horn out on the car to be a quack. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we, we often get calls or we get people will, like right now, for instance, um, a lot of people in Southern California will have mallards landing on their backyard pool yeah. and setting up camp there. So we'll they'll go online and search on Google and they'll, They'll find information on our website, duckrescue.org, about what to do in that situation. So uh, you can't really call animal control because um, they'll pick up a stray dog or a stray cat, but they don't really deal with wild ducks. So we also help wild ducks, too. Okay. Um, So we give tips and hints for ducks in need, and then if it turns out it's a domestic duck, we can try to find someone in a local area to help come and get it. There's really no government agency that will pick up and transport domestic ducks. Okay, and then do you try try and find homes for them, too? That's something I do, yeah. Uh, Some of our board members are actual wildlife, licensed wildlife rehabilitators, but I am not. I do more of the helping transport ducks in need Mm -hmm. or uh, picking them up and finding permanent homes for them, yeah. Okay, and and then if you visit the website, um, do you have pictures of ducks that are available for adoption? We have a few pictures, yeah. We have a forum where people can list the state and city and what kind of ducks they have that they need to find permanent homes, homes for or what kind of ducks they're looking for. Okay, so somebody who wants a duck or somebody who needs to find a home for their duck, they can go to, what's the name of the website again? It's duckrescue.org. Duckrescue.org, and then they could uh, check like out. matchmaking for oh, ducks. Oh, wow, yeah. that's so cool. Now, uh Let's get back to the mallard ducks in the swimming pool. Um, when I worked for Orange County Animal Control for many years, this time of year we would always get lots and lots and lots of phone calls about mallard ducks in swimming pools, and the poor little babies couldn't yeah. get out of the pools, and a lot yeah. of times they'd get sucked up by the filters, which they was not that. a good thing. So tell me, um, what's the advice you give to people if they find a family of uh, wild ducks uh, enjoying their swimming pool? Uh, definitely, like you said, the ducklings can only be in water for a very short period of time, and then they need to get back out. But because pools, the way they're set up, it's just too high for them to jump. So there's a company called Frog Log that Frog makes, okay. yeah, it's literally a little piece of styrofoam that you can just set in your pool, and it'll actually decrease the amount of wildlife that gets injured and killed by your pool and sucked into your filter. So it helps not only uh, baby ducklings but also frogs and uh, squirrels that happen to fall in, that kind of thing. So they can, it's a tiny piece of styrofoam that you just attach to the side with Velcro, and it really cuts down on the maintenance for you and really helps out wildlife as well. Oh, so they could climb out of the pool via the styrofoam log then? Yeah. Oh, that's that's an outstanding idea. Do you know what that website is by any chance where somebody could purchase something like that? 
I think it's called Frog Log, but I'll I'll look it up real quick. You just do a Google search for Frog Log, I guess. Yep. Now let me ask you this. I know when I was a kid, we used to always take our uh, our bread crusts and go over to the local park and uh, break it up into little pieces and toss them out to the ducks who loved it. And uh, definitely, you and know, I did that too. It was one of my favorite things to go to the park and take a couple of pieces of stale bread. Yeah, and I'm under the impression that's not the best thing for them. You know, it's not. Bread is actually bad for ducks, and that's a tough thing to tell people who, who've done it for their whole lives, who are sharing that with their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really is bad for them. If you think of, you know, the kind of bread that people generally take to the park, it's it's a lot of white bread or rolls or, or things like that, and there's just not a lot of nutrition in it. Okay. Um, so particularly for ducklings, they need really specific nutrients as they're growing because they grow to full full growth in less than five weeks. So oh, wow. in growing that fast, it's really important for them to get the right balance. And if they have something easy like bread, they don't forage for the stuff they really need. So it can cause um, splay leg and other leg deformities. It can cause angel wing or, or slipped wing. Oh, wow. Now, and is that so, why you see a lot of those uh, injuries in, in parks with the ducks? Definitely, yeah. A lot of it has to do with bread and just the fact that they're not really set up to live in a park environment like that. So we, it's tough to get people to stop feeding entirely because those ducks are already used to eating that. Mm-hmm. So with, I try to get people to switch to something like Cheerios. It's smaller. It doesn't get caught in the crop oh, okay. of the ducks. And um, it also has more nutrients in it. So if I can get people to switch to Cheerios, then I can start to explain to them that it's, you know, in the long run, it's better off not to feed them at all. It causes overpopulation at parks and, and hurts the water quality and actually makes it worse for the wildlife that does need that water source and the food source there. You know, another thing, too, that I've noticed is that um, ducks, which are supposed to be migratory birds, I'm talking about wild ducks, mm-hmm. if they have that constant unnatural food source, they won't migrate when it's time. Yeah, they'll just stay, and that's they not do. good They do. They end up staying around, and mm-hmm. and it's and then overpopulation becomes a big problem, and and the you know the problems that they can cause with uh, too much pollution in the lake and that kind of thing. Yeah. Now you know a lot of people think. Let's get back to domesticated ducks for a second, because I want to make sure we fit everything in here. A lot of people think that uh, ducks and chickens uh, don't make good pets. They don't have any kind of personality or anything like that. You, as a duck owner, I, I bet you have a different idea. I do. You know, I was surprised. I I tell people that ducks are at least as emotional as cats and dogs, and that really surprised me. When I open the back door when I come home, they run to me, they snuggle, they love to cuddle. Um, And they they really bond, too. They they totally bond to their people, don't they? They do. They can imprint on the human if they're not raised by their mother duck, Um, and then they're just like a kid. Unfortunately, they never grow up, so they're (laughs) forever a kid, so... Now, how long do ducks live? Ducks in uh, the wild can live about six to eight years, but if you have a pet duck and you take good care of them and find a good veterinarian, uh, they can live 10, 12, 15 years. I even know a Muscovy duck that is 20 years old. 20 years old? Oh, my goodness. So that's a big commitment for someone who sees a cute, fluffy duckling. That's right. They can can have them 20 years later. Wow. So, you know, we had an attorney on just before you who was talking about uh, pet trust. So it sounds like that would be something you definitely need to add into your pet trust to make sure your duck was taken care of. Definitely. Not just the (laughs) dogs and cats, but... 
Well, man, that's amazing. Now, not everybody can have a duck. I mean, they are pretty noisy, right? And are are there a lot of zoning rules against they are. having? Ducks? They are pretty noisy. A lot of cities, a lot of people don't think to check city ordinances to make sure they are zoned for waterfowl before they find a pet duck. And I actually don't recommend ducks for most people. They're pretty high maintenance. They need predator-proof pens. They live 20 years. You need to be home in the morning and the evening to let them in and out of their pen. So it's pretty difficult to find a duck sitter if you want to take a vacation. <laughs> I guess so. Oh, my goodness. Well, you, you've just given us some fantastic information. We're just about out of time. We have about 20 seconds. So let's get your website out one more time so that people can get all the information they'd ever want about ducks. Okay, great. It's uh, called DuckRescue.org, the Duck Rescue Network. And uh, we're around to educate and help prevent problems for ducks to relieve their suffering, um, to help prevent abuse, and also to just educate everyone about any issues they have about wild ducks, domestic ducks, and any issues we can help with. So duckrescue.org. Duckrescue.org. Wonderful. Thank you for taking the time with us today. We'll be right back here on the Pet Place Radio Show on AM 540 and 1260. We're back on the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm Marie Hewitt, and I want to tell you about some really fun events coming up. The Pet Place family, if you don't know what that is, that's all the people behind the Pet Place, will be making a special appearance at Ralph's Grocery Store in Buena Park, and it's located at 5400 Beach Boulevard. Come on down, get your picture taken with Mickey Laszlo, the host of the Pet Place television show, and executive producer Gary Lichen. They'll be there Sunday, July 13th, from noon to 2 p.m. Now, if you can't make this special event, Please come on down and meet us at Flavio's Italian Kitchen at 14425 Newport Avenue in Tustin from 6 to 9 p.m. on Thursday, July 10th. They've got the yummiest food there, and the best part of this is a portion of the proceeds will go to help the pet place find homes for homeless pets. Before I sign off, I'd like to remind you that if you have a suggested topic or a question about animals that you'd like answered or a guest you'd like us to interview, just visit us online at PetPlace.org and click on the contact link. If we don't get to your topic on the radio, I also answer questions about animal behavior and problems with pets and wildlife in my Orange County Register newspaper column, which comes out on Mondays in the Life section. And if your question doesn't make it into my column, I answer every email I receive, and that's true. I really do. So if there's something you want to know or hear discussed on this program, please write in. Coming up next is PJ Oakland's Tuned In Radio Show, so don't go away. That's all for me today. The Pet Place will be back next Saturday at 6 a.m. here on KGIL AM 540 and 1260. Remember, be responsible, have your pets spayed or neutered, Love them and make them truly part of the family. Have a great weekend.